Hello and welcome to the April 2021 edition of the Xcoders Community Podcast. I'm Jared Sorge, and my guest this month is Seattle organizer Tim Eckel. How's it going, Tim? Hello, it's going really well. And uh, may I say I'm super impressed. I definitely would have said April 2020 still. <laughs> <laughs> We're four it's, months in and I'm not there yet. It's still like the 15th or the 15th March of 2020 or something like yep. that. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to be into the March 400 by now. <laughs> Eventually we'll get out of March 2020. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel though. Um, I know I've gotten my first vaccination. You've gotten one or two now. Uh, I've gotten one, uh, headed out for the second one a week from today, actually a week from recording day. Excellent. Um, it's happening. My, uh, <laughs> got my post dose sick day all lined up and everything. I'm ready. I'm ready <laughs> nice. to get back out there. Yeah. And, uh, before we get into the conversation, uh, we did post on the Xcoders blog a little bit about kind of getting back into the swing of things. So, uh, please check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes, but we are planning on some sort of like informal social gatherings, probably end of June at the soonest. Um, yeah. We once... know people are going to have to ease back into it for sure. Oh, yeah. No no talks, nothing formal. Just like, hey, we miss people. Let's let's be people together again. Uh, and then we can get into the tech talks and, and all that fun stuff later on as, as things get uh, more clear about where we're at. So uh, check that out. Get your shots and get together for, for some fun. Um, so cool. Tim, thanks for hopping on the show. Um, Absolutely. You are one of the Seattle organizers, but uh, I don't think you've talked about your backstory, like how you got into Seattle or into Xcoders and the at. So, um, uh, how, who are you? How did you get here? <laughs> well, how far back are we going, Jared? Uh, just uh, how'd you get to Seattle? <laughs> Let's start. Well, there. Um, so I've been into uh, uh, computing from a very young age and got into iOS development in particular uh, in college. Uh, the iPhone came out, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year. Um, and then, uh, picked up the iOS SDK pretty much right when it was available. And, uh, from there developed an interest for the next couple of years. And I got, uh, very lucky in that one of the, uh, professors <coughs> I had been studying with, uh, Kurt Clifton was on sabbatical at the Omni group, uh, that at the time that I graduated and, uh, he uh, remembered me from one of his uh, his classes. I think it was programming language paradigms. Uh, <laughs> said, "Hey, Omni is hiring. Uh, here's this job listing. I think it would be a really great idea if you apply." Um, so flew out here, interviewed. I think that was uh, January or February of uh, 2012. Um, started at mm -hmm. Omni in June mm -hmm. of that same year, and have been deep into the Seattle Mac and iOS community ever since. <laughs> Was he the one who got you uh, or introduced you to Xcoders as well, or was that someone else at Omni? I think he was, yeah. Uh, I picked up a lot from Kurt. I picked mm -hmm. up uh, Spotted Omni, Seattle Xcoders, <laughs> and an abiding love for the Seattle Sounders. Uh, <laughs> that was pre-Sounders, though, right? No, the Sounders were around at the time. Uh, I think the team had just reformed a couple of years prior or something like that. Okay. I'm rusty on my history. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I started coming to Xcoders, and actually, I, I think I may have even started at uh, NS Coders, um, mm -hmm. the weekly uh, project to get together um, up at Wayward. But, I think that's where yeah. we met, probably was at Wayward. Seems likely, yeah. Because um, I, I started learning 
anything really around 2012. And so like mid 2012, I was well into my, I'm banging my head against the wall confusion kind of stage. Uh, and that's probably where we met. And mm-hmm. looking back at, at like some of our emails, I, I remember emailing you a couple times and I nerd sniped you on a, on a couple of things. So <laughs> I definitely appreciate the help over the years. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> I feel like I'm in that banging my head against the wall stage still to this day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's funny how that never goes away. Oh, mm-hmm. The things they don't tell the new people. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, then uh, going to Xcoders uh, pretty much every single month since. Um, and then wound up kind of falling into an organizer's position a few years later uh, when one of the current organizers thought he was going to be uh, moving away for a job uh, and yeah. then didn't. Um, but by that point, they couldn't get rid of me. So here I am. <laughs> I think it took three of us to replace or to not even replace to help augment uh, one mm. Paul. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and so that was, that was a few years ago now. Yeah. It's been a good couple of years. Um, we had, uh, it's, it's been some really exciting times for Seattle Xcoders. We went international with Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we have a presence in Portland as well. Um, we had some, some great turnout, some great talks in that time. Uh, and here we've been weathering this latest, uh, change in the world yeah. with, uh, this podcast. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think really keep 20, it, it was 2019 that like 40% of our talks were all new people. Yeah. Something it was like great. that, which was amazing. And I was hoping to mm-hmm. keep that going in, in 2020, and we know how that wound up. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, I am, uh, I'm hopeful that as we get back into things, people will be out of doors looking for stuff to do, looking for new experiences, and Xcoders will provide that for you. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Listener. <laughs> If you have a talk idea or you want to hop on the podcast or, or whatever, we've got uh, info at seattlexcoders.org. Uh, link in the show notes as well. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so recently there was a SWIFT evolution proposal, uh, SE0309, uh, expanding on uh, existentials and generics. And That's a really exciting one, yeah. Yeah. It, it sparked you to write your annual blog post. so i'm curious what about this sparked your interest to write that post uh it's really great in kind of explaining things uh i I learned a bunch Uh, i do have questions about cs terms like contra and covariance oh absolutely Uh, so i might ask you about that but i'm curious like why this one yeah um so Programming languages themselves have always been kind of an interest to me. You know, it was five minutes ago, I used the phrase programming <laughs> language paradigms. Here we are. Uh, so a couple of years ago, there was a big hullabaloo, so to speak, about what they call the UI of generics in Swift, um, how it kind of looks and feels and is for a developer to be using generics as, mm-hmm. a, um, as a feature of the Swift programming language. Yeah. Um, and at the time, there was a really, really cool effort to kind of revamp that and make it easier and more friendly and more approachable to the Swift developer mm-hmm. um, because generics are they're a big part of the language, right? Swift is strongly typed. It's type safety is a, a big feature, and generics play a big role there. Um, so a couple of years ago, with that proposal, I wound up writing my annual blog post 
uh, <laughs> kind of giving a little explainer about some of the changes they were proposing at the time, which, if I remember right, were tied up in um, in the the original Swift UI release around the time of uh, function builders. Um, we got uh, the keyword "sum" yeah, as yeah. a sort of a, a reverse generics was the phrase at the That's time. The opaque return type. Exactly. Yep. That's the formal name for it. Uh, And so that was, you know, that was a really cool experience and people responded very positively uh, and it it got a little bit of traction, which I was really, you know, pleased to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I put the blog down and (laughs) just recently uh, this new proposal, 0309, uh, came out and it touched on a lot of the same topics. It referred back to that UI of generics post um, and then it dove into a new proposal to help um, clean up one of the the most, I don't want to say most prevalent, but maybe the most, um, one of the most frustrating errors, one of the things that people can kind of stub their toe on, so to speak, mm-hmm. pretty frequently, um, which is that uh, protocol has associated type or self-requirements. Sure. Um, and it was a really great proposal, uh, but as is appropriate for Swift Evolution, it was written kind of with a view to the language team and to the compiler itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it laid in those CS terms pretty thick. Uh, and so there were actually a couple of folks that, that DM'd me. They pinged me directly, and they just linked me to the proposal and said, Translation? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I so I read it over a couple of times, let it sink in, and it was you know it's a big step forward for the language, I think, and really mm-hmm. exciting to see. Um, and that that sort of information accessibility is uh, is really neat. I think it's it's a good thing if more developers can get involved in that evolution process and kind of see what's coming down the line. Um, so yeah, one a feverish weekend and forty five hundred <laughs> words later, here we are. That's awesome. So. Did your background in in like Kurt's language class help you understand what that proposal was talking about? Or... Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, one of the the really cool things about the kind of the Swift core team um, in particular is that they're very careful to they're all incredibly well versed in a wide variety of programming languages. Sure. So it's it's almost unusual if I see a, a proposal or a pitch thread or something float by without comparisons to um, not only Swift prior art, but also here's how this happens in the Rust language or Mm -hmm. the C-sharp language or Dart is uh, one that (laughs) comes up a surprising amount. Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of up my alley as well to to compare and contrast um, what these different languages do uh, and how they do it. So, yeah, definitely a personal interest. Like as a beginner getting Mm -hmm. into programming... You might do something like I've got an array of things that are equatable and I want to or I want to I want to have an array of things that are equatable. Sure. But that's where I run into the uh, self or associated type requirements. So like, right. how does this proposal enable that to happen? Are they fixing that everywhere? So this proposal um, for that particular use case, we're like. 80 or 90% of the way there. Um, <laughs> but let me let me just step back for a sec. The, the heart of the proposal is to say, uh, if adopted, any time in Swift that you declare a protocol, you can use that protocol as a type 
somewhere else. You can declare a local variable whose type is that protocol. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's this is where the word existential comes into place. The type of the variable is actually the protocol existential. It's it's a real value. It exists. Mm -hmm. um, so that means you could also do things like declare an array of that type. Uh, you can pass that type around as a um, a parameter to a function, right? And up till now, Swift has restricted that use if the protocol has that associated type or self-requirement. Um, so this proposal, 0309, says you'll be able to use every protocol as a type in that sense, regardless of associated type or self-requirement. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean it cleans up the language requirement that spawned that error in the first place. But they're able to scope it down a lot more now. I so see. in your the specific case of an array of equatable or an array of a protocol that inherits from equatable, you'll be able to declare that array now and you'll be able to fill it up with uh, with objects of the, the protocol existential type. That mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean you get to call uh, double equals. You get to use that double equals operator on the things in there, but at least you're able to make it now. Interesting. Okay. You you do you use the terms and I mentioned this earlier, covariant mm -hmm. and contravariant. Mm -hmm. And I think I understand covariant where like in a in a class hierarchy when you say something mm -hmm. more specific, it's like the class hierarchy where you've got a base class and then something subclassing it that's becoming more specific. Mm -hmm. And so as as you have something that returns capital S self, so mm -hmm. you're returning something of the same type that you you inherit from the 2d shape to the circle the circle mm -hmm. if it were turning the capital s self would return a circle right but contravariant we say kind of like goes the other direction mm -hmm. that at least that terminology kind of like is active in my head so it's like active like going away so as you go more specific contravariant means you're going more gen more general more or gen yeah so um, like how do, how does that work and it's yeah, that's a great question. Um, so contravariance is, it's easy to kind of talk about it in a way that might be mis misleading a little bit. It's So if we if we start with that class hierarchy, right? Like, let's say I've got my 2D shape parent mm -hmm. class, and I've got my circle child class that uh, it inherits from 2D shape. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that an argument gets more general as my type gets more specific, right? Like, I if I... Uh, let's say I have a function on 2D shape called matches, and mm -hmm. it's going to ask, you know, is this shape, does it look like another shape? It'll compare some properties, mm -hmm. what have you. Um, so it, the the argument to that function is going to be another 2D shape, you might, you might say. Where contravariance comes into play is when I uh, subclass that 2D shape and I have a circle, it's not allowed to make the type of that argument more specific as well right you can't oh. say match you know you can't say circle only accepts other circles to matches right um, because the parent class declared it it has to be able to accept any kind of 2d shape and you could have other subclasses involved there you've got this full hierarchy going on um so it's not necessarily that as i go from 2d shape to circle the argument goes from 2d shape to some even more general class <laughs> it still stays at 2d shape but with respect to the kind of the direction you're moving, and I'm making air quotes here, right? Uh, the direction you're moving, the that argument type is more general than the more specific circle that we've we've moved to. I see. So 
so if you had if you had the the duplicate function that would return a capital S self mm-hmm. that gets more generic as or more specific. sorry more specific mm-hmm. uh, as you go down the class hierarchy, but yep. your method parameter would always be shape or two D shape, and yep. that would never change. It wouldn't be the uh, of type self. Right. right, because it that would to... that would get more specific. It would be two D shape, which stays at the two D shape kind of like type erased level. Exactly. Yep. I see. And that's a uh, so because as we get more specific compared to the enclosing type, that is progressively more general. Mm-hmm. That's why we we call it contravariant. So imagining imagining like a an implementation of that matches function that takes that's on a circle which mm-hmm. takes a two D shape. Uh, the first thing you would do was would be cast that other shape as self as capital S self to at least know that you're working of something that is yourself and then return that as false otherwise. And so then you right. could do your, whatever your circle magic or your circle logic would be to determine, are you the same circle as I am? Right. And that's a very, that's a very uh, objective C approach to the answer. Actually. <laughs> um, that's a, you know, if you've ever overridden NS object is equal uh, mm-hmm. you know, you get past another NS object, and one of the first things that you, or an ID even, and one of the first things that you do is say, you know, if this thing is not kind of class, you know, self class or what have you, then mm-hmm. um, yeah, you uh, you throw it out the window, you return false. Um, the thing about the Swift proposal is that because of how a lot of the types work under the hood, they're trying to keep most of these checks uh, static. So that the compiler can kind of help us out. Hmm. So when you're talking about, you know, hey, if I want to implement matches and the first thing I do is cast it to self, well, that's a dynamic check. That's a runtime check, mm-hmm. um, which is why SEO 309 kind of keeps that restriction at the compiler level. It says, hey, you know, we're going to allow using these protocols as types everywhere. We're going to allow you to call even call methods that have self in a covariant position because they can do that static typing. But in a contravariant position, that's where it's still you will still run into a compiler error, and it'll tell you that's not allowed. Interesting, because it they want at the compiler level they want to force you to have to. I don't know if they want to force you, but they're you know the strategy right now, the design of the system mm-hmm. is such that you need to explicitly write out the dynamic cast for those contravariant arguments to make it obvious what you're doing. I see. It sure seems like the Swift compiler writes a ton of generated code under the hood. It's very helpful. That would be... I don't want to write it. <laughs> it's true. Uh, that just boggles my mind, like, how all this stuff works. I'm glad that there's a lot, a lot of more smarter people than I am <laughs> to do this yeah. kind of stuff. It's always impressive. Whenever I dive into that Swift evolution list, it's impressive to see what they get up to in there. Yeah. As we as we were talking about this uh, on Slack, and and I we're not going to dive into the entire blog post uh, because you all should just go read it. And if you have questions, uh, chat with us on the Xcoder Slack uh, because Absolutely. we're we're both there and we like hanging out and talking to people. So uh, bring your questions and discussions over there. Um, but as as we were talking about this uh, this blog post, like in the in the earlier stages, um, there was a, there was a comment. Uh, that, or, or, or I guess a, maybe a question: Is Swift becoming too big, and is it not as good for building apps? And like that, that kind of 
um, sparked a thought in my head that I've had for a little while. Like we have all these blog posts of do such and such in Swift. And it's the, the focus becomes more about how do I do this like language specific thing in Swift again, using air quotes um, rather than like, I want to build this cool transition from one screen to another. And how do I implement UI view controller transitioning? Cause it's a really hard protocol to actually implement well. <laughs> right. Um, but there's more focus on how to do stuff the Swifty way or, or in Swift than there is on the craft and the art of app making. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, are on that. So that's a, it's a big topic, right? Because we're kind of interrelating working with a particular programming language and accomplishing a, you know, honestly, what is a subset of tasks in that mm-hmm. programming language, right? Crafting yeah. a really nice Mac or iOS app is, it, I mean, it's an art form to itself. Um, yeah. But at this point, it's um, only one of a myriad of things you can do with Swift. So my, you know, my first gut reaction is Apple came out, what is it, six years ago now with Swift and said, hey, uh, this is a, you know, this is our programming language. We're going to be adopting it for apps. But also we have this vision where it could expand into other things. And we're starting to see that with some mm-hmm. of these um, projects like, you know, Swift numerics or Swift algorithms. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of Swift on the server frameworks. There's Swift is a language for more than just app making now. Um, is that still its primary audience? Yeah, probably by by a fair margin, I would guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've known people to write little scripts like, you know, cron scripts or utilities that run locally or on a server. I've known people to, you know, try to use Swift for mathematical approaches and scientific stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my first reaction is the Swift as a language might be growing to expand and cover more of these use cases um, to support more more niches. Mm-hmm. But it's still there for app making. It can still be used for app making. Yeah, I think as a language, it's, you know. It's probably also fair to say that its syntax has grown well past Objective-C. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you have the flip side of that coin, too, right? Where Objective-C was a uh, once you, you know, and everybody talks about the square brackets. But once you get over the square brackets, you know, it's a <laughs> relatively straightforward language to pick up um, syntactically. But how many deep shadowy tricks can you pull with the runtime in that language? Oh, yeah. Obc fun time. <laughs> oh yes so i think you know there is something to be said for uh if i want to sit down and get through an app swift as a language is gonna have maybe a little bit of a steeper learning curve than obviously did or mm-hmm. than swift of 2015 or 16 did but i think it's you know it's kind of growing with the times it's uh it has different goals as a language it has different things it needs to support um or wants to support i don't see a problem with that yeah, and I'll fully admit, like I use Swift on the server. Vapor is fantastic. That's what my go. my blog engine is written in in Swift, and I don't think I would have written or attempted a blog engine in any other language because I don't really know many other languages. Mm-hmm. So I do like Swift. I'm not trying to to bag on it. There's there's just a lot of focus on doing things swifty as opposed to like what are the products that we can ship and maybe this is Mm. this is also getting conflated with like um apple ships catalyst and they ship swift ui and there's a lot of focus like on the people from the people making apps and the people really into air quotes the scene Mm -hmm. of like oh is this is this a a swift ui app is this a Mm -hmm. catalyst app rather than 
is this a good app? I, I want. I, I hopefully. I hope that we are focusing more on like how do I make something that's really good rather than what's the tooling that I'm using to build it because the tools just enable the products at the end of the day. Mm. And that's a trap that you can fall into with any language or toolkit, right? Like yeah. you've seen. Uh, I think I forget who it was that coined the term Pythonic for you know, things that were, <laughs> you know, very fluent Python. And, you know, you, you get the the kind of this is good. This epitomizes the ideals of our language. And that's an important thing to have for code style, for, you know, good design, for cleanliness, for kind of getting the most out of the tools that you're using. But it shouldn't be an end to itself. Right. Yeah. We have yeah. The, the code golf stack overflow for that <laughs> yeah like it cracks me up when when i hear about release notes in an app and say oh this is our big swift rewrite mm, and mm. if we did it right then you won't notice any difference but as a user i'm like okay so your app didn't change and under the hood yeah. i hope this en- enables you to, to ship more quickly and and like do things in your code base that will support me as the app user mm-hmm. but as the app user if your app's not getting better Mm-hmm. I don't really care about your Swift rewrite. Give yeah. me better apps. And I hope that most <laughs> folks who are writing those release notes, I think that's what they're trying to communicate, right? They're trying to say, hey, we're doing this so that we can, you know, even very indirectly, uh, maybe we can hire more Swift developers. Because, mm-hmm. you know, do you think there are more Swift developers than Obsidian developers at this point for iOS apps? Oh, absolutely. That's what all the tutorials are written in. That's what all the boot camps are being done in. They might do like a week or two of like, hey, here's this Obc thing. Yeah. So I think they're, you know, when someone says, hey, this is our big Swift rewrite, I think what they're, they're meaning to say is, you know, we're doing this so that we can clean up the code base, squash bugs, fix crashers, hire mm-hmm. people, get more velocity. Um, mm-hmm. And that will translate into a better experience for you, the user, down the road. We just yeah. want you to know that we're, we're making progress. Right. Yeah. At least that's if I were to write that in a release note, that that would be what I would hope to communicate. <laughs> Insert Monty Python, I'm not dead yet, <laughs> gif. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. So I wanted to wrap up. We've got WWC as we record just about six weeks away. Oh yes. Yeah. I'm curious <laughs> if there's an API that you most are interested in or or that you want to see. API in particular. I know I know we all want new M. M1 M1X Max or M2 or X1 yeah. even like we want the prof- we want to know what the next evolution is that's that's table stakes i'm wondering mm-hmm. like as a developer what's an api you want you want to see happen wow that's a uh, that's a big one there's you know i'm going to i'm going to go a little off the the beaten path here uh, <laughs> i want apfs snapshotting for third party apps Ooh. i want to be able to you know I, and maybe even not me specifically. I mean, I'm sure I would write this just to play around with it. Uh, <laughs> but I want the uh, the carbon copy cloners of the world to mm-hmm. uh, be able to make an APFS snapshot and build or you know do a do a backup from that. I want I want Xcode or I want my development utility to be able to say, all right, I'm making an APFS snapshot of your source directory and I'm building from that. So you can keep typing, and the Swift compiler won't throw up a flag when it says, you changed the source file during the build. I want just like that that extra little copy-on-write Band-Aid on so many different things. What's interesting there is potentially, were this to come to fruition, mm-hmm. you've just introduced a simplified Git 
where you could have like a stack of these APFS snapshots. Oh, yes. And there's your document format with yep. full undo support because yep. new, new writes are just an updated snapshot like on the, snack, on the stack. And that preserves then your undo history. So like you open up a document, you've been typing on it, and then you save it. You come back to it later. You make more changes, save it, make more changes. And then like three weeks later, you're like, I'm going to open this document. You can undo just like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, rolling back your snapshots. That's an interesting use case. It'd be machine huh. local, right? I'm not syncing these snapshots. Um, I mean, that's so I, I'm thinking about like at a hyper local level, like whatever mm. your your document structure is. And so I don't see why it couldn't be synced as long as you are you're on like all of your machines are on a new enough OS that supports that that mm. system. So you'd you'd propose that. You know, you translate those changes across the wire somehow, and then a second machine that's syncing that one in, mm-hmm. would, when applying, would apply a, a change set and make a snapshot, and apply a change set and make a snapshot. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. At that it's... point, I almost might just write it on top of libgit, but yes. <laughs> Certainly a possibility. But then you have to write your libgit wrapper and mm-hmm. and figure that out all under the... I know, I think it was a few years ago at Swift by Northwest... Uh, Will Shipley was talking about using Git as a file format. Uh, I don't I believe that is the case for one of his apps. I don't think. I think it was his new app, like the mm-hmm. the home layout kind of thing, where you're like here's your couch and here are the like the dimensions of your room and all the different pieces, and you could save like on top of each other, and each of those are just commits, so you could like roll back or forward mm-hmm. uh, in time. Yeah, the other interesting thing that gives is a universal undo yeah yeah so that's uh i think that's what i'm hoping for uh there's you know there's a lot that goes into it though uh that i totally understand right like my our our document here that's got 10 snapshots piled up Mm -hmm. uh how do you communicate that it's actually taking 10x the space on the disc um it's not though right well in that particular case um you've changed it 10 times and so it's been copied on write 10 times I guess it depends, you know, if if you've got your like primary XML structure and then a bunch of assets in the document bundle nearby, so it's not taking the full ten incremental though. Oh, geez, I don't even know at what level APFS does this. If it's for the entire file or if it's per block. Um, oh yeah, but usually it's going to if if you make even a single byte of change in that file, some larger unit is going to get entirely duplicated. And then mm. it's in that duplicate that the the change happens. Okay, so, and that's where that's where it gets definitely more efficient than APFS. It packs it a little differently, yeah. And I mean that's that's the difference between needing to write a source control tool and a file system, right? There's again they're they're solving different use cases, but I think there was there's still some really cool applications available to us um but yeah i mean finder already kind of throws up its hands when i ask it how big the xcode app package <laughs> is know. so trying to it's so ridiculous trying to report that to the user and trying to you know especially when someone's mac is almost full and they need to know you know where do i go to clean up this space are these snapshots safe to delete or to compact mm-hmm. into one another there's a ton of higher level ux that needs to go into that um so yeah, this is this is my my moonshot. You know, I don't think we're gonna see it, but boy, would I be excited! <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other the other thing I know that most people are anxious for is to see like we have these new iPad Pros, and mm-hmm. they have an M1 in there for some reason. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody fully understands why the iPad Pro needed an M1 yet, uh, especially since the A12 X or Z was still outpacing what iPad OS could do. So there's been speculation on like, are we getting a Mac on our iPad or a hypervisor on our iPad? And that's that's fascinating. <laughs> I'm really curious to see what happens. Yeah. I'll be uh I'll be excited to to see that as well. I think, you know, that's if nothing else, regardless of what the M stands for, um, if nothing else, that's saying to me that, hey, the newest iPad has what Apple considers a desktop class processor. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe that distinction is meaningless in the world of Apple Silicon, but for now, you know, if we're still coming out of the world of uh I've got, you know, my Intel Xeons on the one hand and not my, you know, Intel mobile, low power, low mm-hmm. overhead kind of things. Like uh, I know those technical distinctions are not really present uh, for Apple Silicon, but from a marketing standpoint, this it is still positioned as we had this desktop chip, we put it in another desktop, the new iMac, and we also put it in an iPad. So yeah, what does that mean for as far as other desktopy things on your iPad? It's gonna be interesting. I'm. I'm really excited for WWC. I'm excited for it yeah. every year, but more so, I think, this year. And, like, even when we had our, our DTKs and those had the mm-hmm. A12Z in them, those mm-hmm. had 16 gigs of RAM. But on the whole, like, performance-wise, it wasn't bad. They were snappy. Yeah, I never had a problem with the performance. There were problems mm-hmm. with other other pieces of it. But, sure. uh, like, just on the hardware level, if they had shipped, oh, and here's our new Mac running an A12Z, Mm-hmm. It would have been fine. It wouldn't have been nearly as amazing as what we got, mm-hmm. which is why I'm so excited for the professional hardware to come out later this year. Yeah, same. Uh, I remembered. I did remember the other thing Ooh. that I wanted to say about yes. um, running this with language. The analogy I wanted to make, um, and you actually, uh, this is when I thought of it, was when you brought up the UI View Controller Animated Transitioning Protocol. With, I mean, I forget if it was that protocol or one of the three or four other protocols in that area, <laughs> right? Your presentation controller subclass, your animated transitioning, your interactive transitioning. Yep. Um, the point that I wanted to make or the analogy I wanted to draw is that it's not just Swift, right? It's mm. UI kit has gotten a lot more um, since the early days of iOS. Um, Absolutely. I mean, even with, you know, harken back to iOS 5 or 6 when auto layout showed up, right? It was more it is this big system of linear algebra uh where previously i could i could just set my frames um (laughs) there's a little bit you know there's more of the the interactive stuff the animated transitioning that came in with ios 7 Mm -hmm. uh there's a lot more you know swift ui to a certain extent is a specialized dsl specifically for constructing view hierarchies and there's a a huge engine that backs that so yeah it's as we want to do more with these things, I think they naturally tend to grow and expand and cover those additional use cases. And yes, it can be, it can be really, really hard to draw that balance and draw that line and say, um, you know, we think that such and such is kind of complete, right? Yeah. But I want to say that that you know that happens at every level up and down the the abstraction stack. And at least for me personally, we're not there yet with Swift. It's not. It's not done, right? I'm not going to tie a bow on the language and say, we're using Swift 5.4 forever, which just came out, by the way. Really cool stuff in there. Yeah, especially since we have all the concurrency pieces yet to land. Exactly. Uh, got in our tools. coming up. Yep. 
Yeah. And did actors get accept- accepted? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm, I'm lost on that one. I, th- I think they did. It's either accepted or it's up next. I thought it was at least in review. Okay. I think, but I think it's been accepted. Yeah, I got to so go like revisit Xcode, that whole concurrency stack. Yeah, Xcode 13 is going to be wild just for the Swift changes alone. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> excited. Awesome. Well, thanks again for, for joining the show. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks for your time. And thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you again next month. And we'll see you at Xcoders. Yes. Sooner, the, sooner rather shots. than later. Get your shots. Get your shots, and we'll see you in a couple months.